So you have the same accent as like half of my county back home. Like it's crazy. I am. I've heard that I am very Midwestern, but really no. Northern Midwest. I'm. I'm more Canadian than. No, my wife. My wife actually called me up just before it came here. Like she wouldn't swear if she shit, had shit in her mouth. Like she's she's a perfect woman. But I mean, she <laughs> she was going to be a, a nun at one time, and then oh, the thing is. No. I'm sloppy seconds, I guess. So anyways, the thing is that uh, she called me up and she said, uh, you better you better start finding yourself if, if you, uh, or else I'm going to start cussing like a sailor. Like oh, my, so you, uh, you, like when you I, have a when swear I, jar when at I, home? When I call at home, I never cuss when I'm in the Midwest. I don't know how to say that. I just, I'm okay, but calling somebody from back home, I'm just cussing like a sailor. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> and I, I'm worried you're so going to get me cussing got, the whole she's night. She's got you well-trained. Yeah, no, oh, I'm she's, a, she's, I'm a yeah. bit of a sailor. Zach and I were just having a conversation the other day. because So I grew up with my stepdad from, I think my mom married my stepdad when I was like seven. And we moved in there. And so I was venting to Zach about, you know, childhood trauma or whatever. And one of the things is like, oh, he just swears so much. and But now... I probably swear just as much yeah, as he you did. Pick, you he, picked that up from him. But I lived with him from the time I was seven oh. until the day I graduated high school, so we know where I got it. Yeah, I lived in an all-male <laughs> dorm for several years at college, so, yeah. And some of them cursed? A, a few. One or two once, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it was crazy. Where did you go to college? I went to the University of Guelph, the motherland of Guelph. OAC Guelph? Aggies. Guelph. It's uh, How it's do like you spell that. Uh, G U E O L F P H. Sometimes I played golf. <laughs> <laughs> it would be G O L W F, right? Golf. G W A U E L F E. Shout out to the Ontario Agriculture College Aggies. Yeah. So I mean, it's just like Iowa State, stop. except for drinking yeah. age is nineteen down there. So it's, it's exactly the same. Drinking age is 19 in, oh, hell yeah. in Guelph? And is that the, how you say the it? motherland of Guelph, yeah. Guelph. Well, it's 19 in all of Canada, right? I think it's 18 in Quebec. Oh. That was the only time I ever used my French. Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? That was all I knew when I was 18 and never worked then and still probably doesn't work now. So. Are you referring to the famous Christina Aguilera and who, who oh. all sang that? <laughs> Voulez. I know it, but I can't repeat Voulez. it. Voulez. Hold that up. was the only time I spoke French. Voulez, except for... Voulez. <laughs> Zach, I, I want to say it, but on, not no. because I know people will listen. Mary Go. J. Blige, Christina Aguilera. You got this. <clears throat> well, tip of the lips, teeth, and the tongue. I, I think, <laughs> I think <laughs> because it's start... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he knew it. He knew it the whole time. Of course I did. He knows every song when, that dark. When I was 17, my lyrics. girlfriend was obsessed with that oh. song. <laughs> well, that was pre-me. 17 for uh, you? This was pre-you, yeah. Yeah, this no, was pre that wasn't me. How old were you? When did you guys started dating? <laughs> I was 18. I was 17. Oh wow! Yeah, we're like I was we're like lifers years old and still now. A virgin. I was like looking for what I was looking for the one forever. That wasn't that wasn't us. If, oh, you, if you've finally. listened to probably episode one of this season, that. you most definitely or episode one of off one the husk of one of in one, general, yeah. you would know that I did not save myself for marriage, and neither did Zach. We were naughty, naughty children. Well, I, I met my brother-in-laws and one seven foot. And one is uh, six seven, and and the rest, the three of them are six four, and so I was like, "Yep, my wife's going to be a virgin till I'm married too." I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We better introduce who we're talking to. Yeah, who do we have here, Zach? We have Andy 
Cajun to, is my hometown. Andy I, Cajun. Yeah, everybody calls me Cajun. You can call me Andy. Call but that's not actually oh, so your Cajun, last name? How does this Cajun work? Cajun uh, is what they is call? That's your nickname. Okay. My, my hometown is Bob Cajun, Ontario, where the men are men, the sheep are nervous. And, you know, <laughs> and like Eugene Whalen was legendary minister of agriculture back home. And he says, who the hell farms up in Bob Cajun? Like I was the only guy you'd ever meet in 40 years. I went to agriculture college from my little town. So we're right on the edge of the Canadian wilderness. So, yeah. So that's uh, where I'm from. And then basically, since I went to college, basically I was in Letterkenny, where I my my office was before I got married to my wife five years ago, was basically in the smack dab of the Western Ontario Corn Belt, just 20 miles south of where Letterkenny's based out of. How many good Letterkenny lines can you recite? I cannot. I'm fascinated by the fact that you spent time in Letterkenny. I mean, they got it that down, down. It's actually Listwell, Ontario. Shout out to everybody from Perth County. Shit, what did you say? Shout out. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to start cussing like a sailor because of this. So, yeah. Sorry. You got me. You got me on my Eastern Canadian accent. All right. So, does your wife get this money? He's got a lot of bills. You confused me with that. I was going to ask about that. So, I wasn't going to say anything. I just assumed he picked up when he left. (laughs) About 13 years ago, I started showing up to farm meetings, right? So, we'd have farm meetings. And then we'd say we go through an agenda, and then people would say they start doing things the next week. Well, I came back the next week, and things wouldn't get done. And one of my first clients, we'll call him John, he didn't get around six weeks later to actually getting stuff done. I said, the next time I come back, you're going to have to put $5, and you're going to have to burn that $5 if you don't get this task done. So it was was, he was supposed to call about stray voltage. He didn't think it was a big deal. They had some pregnancy issues in the barn. They only had 14% pregnancy rate, and uh, they needed to be up to 30% was their target. Came back the next week. He didn't have it done, so I made him take five bucks out of his wallet and burn the money. And uh, you want to see a Dutchman cry. I mean, my God. <laughs> and the thing is that I came back the next week, and he actually burnt, had to burn 10 bucks. And then the next week I came back, it was going to be 20 bucks, and he hadn't made the phone call. And I actually turned out that there was a $115,000 mistake in the barn because they had straight voltage. Like we improved the production from, I think it was uh, 14% up to 27%, just because of one problem. Like the follow through, what I found in, in working with folks over the years is that we suck at actual follow through. I'd say about 70%, between 50 to 70% of the things we say we're going to do or the good ideas we have and we make a decision on, we don't actually get done. Yep. So the farms I work with, and I do the same thing, if you say you're going to do something, you don't fall through with it, then you have to pay a fine, right? And whether you choose to burn that, right? Because here in America, it's illegal to burn money, apparently. It's and not so in Canada? In Canada, you, you cannot destroy coin, but you they didn't have paper money when they created that law. It would go so far back. So wow. Do you, do you yeah. work in Canada? Oh, yeah. We, we work all over. I, go, I have farms in British Columbia. I have farms in... In Ontario, farms down in Mississippi, I do all over North America. Do you bring like a sack of coins and then they call it uh, <laughs> not a melting pot, but a smelting pot? You sm- is that what- a smelting what pot? Do you, what do you do when you burn, when you liquefy coins? Is that smelting? Ah. Well, that's like when you melt down gold, right? That's just a shame is what I call it. I had <laughs> an unfortunate smelting yeah. accident. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I got guys writing checks for uh, to like PETA. 
quite often I get guys writing checks to PETA. Like, you get a fair... fair as their punishment. As their punishment. I love this philosophy, the, the, and I'm not kidding you. I'm totally, when I go to my next school board meeting to complain and tell them how they need to do their jobs, I'm going to use this as my speech because this is phenomenal. Oh. Don't make this personal, Beck. I got a call from for, I got a call from personal. the government saying do not burn any money more money so <laughs> that that's a phone call I don't need to get again but the thing is the thing is that honest to God what I've seen over the years that same farm we started doing it six months later we started the same family the one brother he started giving money to a charity that they liked they said well we should get instead of giving uh, burning this money let's foolish let's start giving it to the local Christian school right and then the brother started sleeping in. And he said, well, well, it's five bucks and it's going to good cause. And so he started sleeping in continuously. So like convenient PETA, an excuse. But I, what I found over the years is burning money and seeing money wasted has the most profound effect. Giving money to Peter or a cause, a charity you hate. Like I had a farmer give money to Hillary Clinton campaign donation, even though she he hated Hillary Clinton with a passion. You know, I don't want to get political or nothing like that, but th- that was for him. But you got to give a chari- the money to a charity you absolutely hate, and that will inspire you the next meeting to actually show up. And then I found that the, if you can get a farm from, say, 50% implementation rate to 90% implementation rate, it makes a huge difference in year-end profitability. Like just that farm alone, that's a good example. It was a $115,000 mistake. And it was something that they didn't think was a big deal. They, they had already done uh, stray vultures before, but they had put wind towers just down the road. And that screwed up the electrical grid. And they had just had somebody in there a year before checking, and it was fine. I believe we're talking about with Greg, the stray voltage. Yeah. And how... I think it was we with don't, Joey. Oh, sure. Because yeah. like tying bet, the rebar and we were talking yes. how we had, to yeah. weld yeah. All the, we had to weld all the mesh together. Because it was zapping the cows. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So it's, we don't feel that, but that stray voltage, cows will feel if they step between the grids. Yeah. And, and really screw things yeah. up. Like I have a deal with my meetings is that if you come to the meeting, if you don't have your homework done, each meeting I have with farmers, everybody's got to come to the table with an idea to improve farm profit by at least 3000 bucks without spending a thousand bucks. Right. So we really focus on management and you got four or five guys coming to the meeting. But if you have somebody showing up and everybody else done their homework, but that guy, well, he has to take 10 bucks out and donate to PETA. Well, he'll come to the next meeting with an idea. And gets grandpa thinking creatively. So it's not just a young lad, you know, coming to that table and, and grandpa having his arms crossed and uh, saying, oh, that idea sucks. It's everybody brainstorming together. And then you get everybody weighing the pros and cons of ideas together. And that gets rid of the whole I'm smarter than you attitude. And you start making smart decisions together as a family over time. It's huge. So we should probably add in what he's actually doing. Doing that's what oh, I, that's sure. what I, was I don't think we've mentioned that yet. My name's yep. Andy Junkin, and I help stubborn farmers work better together. That's, Boom! That's that's it. So, in a nutshell, stubborn you go to farm. a family farm with a bunch of stubborn guys, yeah, family members, which, which would be a family farm. Yeah. Every family farm I've ever Pretty dealt much. with, yeah, yeah, and and you work with them to to figure their shit out. Exactly. Like the thing is, like I come from a stubborn farm family myself. Like 1832, first white man killed in the township was back end of our farm. Rockiest part of the world you could possibly farm. What made my family successful for seven generations is the fact that we were stubborn. But what caused my family to fail was the fact that we were stubborn. And that's why I'm in Minnesota today. There is nobody more hell-bent to carry on a seven-generation family tradition. My mom, she showed me the farm financials the day I left for college. She says, you got to fix these numbers or else I'm leaving your father. And I came home and my dad plowed down my crops out of jealousy. And the thing is that, you know, from that moment, everything went from bad to worse. 
and my parents actually got separated over a uh, fight over a manure spreader. I guess you could say they should have the fan. But what I've been doing ever since is turning shady situations around. And I started off by helping my friends in Western Ontario. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And been doing this for 13 years. This is all been doing for a full-time gig is helping farm families across North America. I might have a client for this guy. <laughs> you probably have a client? A yeah. Few. Oh. Yeah. So a few months ago, honestly, this happened like in our hiatus of off the husk, and it's a good story. So sure. somehow my phone number got linked to Millennial Farmer, and it was oh. published somewhere online. And I, for a little while, was getting calls from, you know, most of them were like idiot teenagers that were like, is, is this Zach? You know, there's like uh, fanboys, right? How many like, drunken calls you get at three o'clock in the morning from from lads drinking in a shop? None, because we try that like many. our numbers. We don't want we don't put them out there, right? So I was yeah. getting like calls, like I don't know, once one a day, I'd say for went on for a month. Well, usually, like if I if I say hello and it's a guy and they're like being weird, I know I was knowing where. It was. So I just yeah. hang up or I'd say sorry, you have the wrong number. But I got one call and it was a woman. And she was trying to get in touch with Zach and I responded because I was like, oh, maybe it's somebody from one of our sponsors and it's his secretary and she needs to take care of her billing thing or whatever. So I kind of engaged with her for a minute. Well, turns out this lady, they have a family farm and they needed some advice from Zach. Zach was from, definitely from me. Zach was definitely Let's call the YouTube idiot. Zach was definitely going to be qualified to handle this situation. And so this lady must have been in her she must have been in her 60s, late 50s or 60s. So her and her husband, it's her family farm. And she has a son who is getting married or was just, I th actually, they had just gotten married. And her daughter-in-law didn't sign a prenup. <laughs> Never and, had this conversation ever in my and life. And <laughs> this, this mom, like was, like, was furious. And she, like, long story, like, I wasn't going to, like, so I, I, like, engaged with this lady. And I started listening for, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes. And this lady just went on and on and on about how ridiculous her daughter-in-law was. Why won't she just sign the prenup? Meanwhile, they're already married, like, and it, to me, it was pretty obvious that the her son didn't feel the need for a prenup. He had made that decision. And ironically, the farmland had actually skipped this mom for whatever reason. Mm. So it was her son's land, not even hers. But she was like tied to it. And you could tell doesn't trust her daughter-in-law. And she just went on with these like crazy stories about, oh, I was just over there yesterday and this girl was crying on the couch. I just don't understand why she won't sign the prenup and why won't he make her sign the prenup? And it was just like, I felt so bad for this couple that is our age somewhere yeah, in the planet. You felt bad for the daughter-in-law. And, yeah. and, the, and the husband, because he obviously. Put in the middle of this. Oh yeah. Between his wife oh, and his mother. Right. That, that happens so. And, oh, well, and then so also much. this lady, the lady that was calling though, I mean, in my opinion, batshit crazy because who calls a random stranger the tractor video YouTube kid and just starts like she just for 15 minutes just is going and I'm just like she's like what would you do what what would you do if you were in this situation and I was like I would hire a person that specializes in farm transitions because our family has a person like that like that's who we use well what what would you do if you were her yeah. and I'm like I would and slam the door in your face. Like, yeah. Or you could go to Stubborn Dot Farm and get connected with Andy sure, Junkin. Sure. Yes, but, but the, it was bizarre. But the thing is, for to make that phone call, 
it probably took her five years to make that phone call to you. See, the thing is, I get talking to people at a farm show, and I'll give them a book, or somebody will call me for a book. Like, I give out a free book. Right? I got if, one of those if, books yeah, in the if, mail. That's if, how, that's why that's you're how here. Got, that's how we got to know each other, right? But yep. the thing is, people will call me for a book and then hold off. Like, it's like a stone in your shoe. just rubs you, rubs you, rubs the wrong way. And it's like five years until most families call. And it's like calling Alcoholics Anonymous. It's too late, right? And like, they call, sometimes it's too late. Like, I had a guy that won Young Farmer of the Year in a state. And then he had actually contacted me to speak at a dairy seminar. And he won Farm Family in the state. And he says, I want to bring my dad to this seminar so he can hear you talk. Because I had spoken in California at the national event. And then... This day that I spoke was three weeks after he got that award for being Young Outstanding Farmer of the Year. And they were having the auction sale because they had waited that long and things were that bad. And they blamed the economics of the dairy industry, but it was really a father-son pissing contest that had been going on for 15 years. And so he won this Young Farmer of the Year. Meanwhile, he Great knew guy. they were getting ready for an auction. Well, the thing is that there was a situation where his father and two sons and both were good men. All Everybody there was good men, right? Everybody, the, the daughter-in-law was really involved in the operation. Wonderful girl. Everybody involved was fantastic people. And they were all extremely brilliant people, except for the problem was everybody was pulling the farm in different directions, right? And it became more important to be right. And as a result, things weren't right on that operation. And the respect was gone. And, and unfortunately, they were the lowest cost producer in the state, but they couldn't in three years, I said, well, how much have you dropped your cost production in three years? Your, your price of milk dropped 50%. How much have you dropped your cost production in the last three years? And they hadn't sat down once to have a family meeting as to how do we improve our efficiency. We complained about milk prices, right? Everybody had different ideas, but they never listened to each other's ideas. They just had a pissing contest as to who was smarter. And what they needed to do, if, if I had been able to work with them for six months, I could have turned around that situation, but trying to get the father to agree to put off an auction after it's been, the decision has been made is pretty tough. And unfortunately mm -hmm. I have to deal with that a lot. And that's why I give away free courses and do all this stuff because I'm just tired of taking shotguns out of suicidal farmer's hands. And in that case, it was as a family that you and I would drink with, you and I would have respect for his production numbers. The day that, that he um, sold the cows were just incredible. He put on Facebook, but it was just simply put that they didn't, they got into I'm smarter than you attitude. And as a result, they made stupid decisions as a result. And it was emotional. Right? I would imagine they all are. But tying, tying back to your, to your story about the daughter-in-law, I used to marry people, actually. That's a long story, but I, I'm a licensed official in the province of Ontario. I can marry in Beria. But the thing is, I used to do a lot of prenups, but I'm really focused now on how do we make a marriage successful? That should be the focus. Right. We, we look at the word succession and the issue I have with succession is it's, it's uh, the ugly word nobody wants to address. But what we need to start focusing on is, is, is two words with succession, success and then I-O-N. And I-O-N is the Greek word for change. Right. It's a Greek derivative. And we got to start looking at how do we define what success is. So in that situation where you're talking about the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law not getting along, I've seen farms where the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law get in an argument, they get talking about where they disagree instead of what success is. 
And as a result, everything falls apart. You got to get everybody focused on the success and then you got to get everybody right, being able to listen to each other. Yep. Like and a distraction of some sort. Talk about yeah. change. It's so focused on fear. These prenups are just so focused on fear instead of focusing on success. And that's where we're falling apart. I assume you also probably deal with a lot of the older generation doing things because that's how they always did it. And then you get the younger generation coming in, probably wanting to make it a little bit of a change. You know, there is better technology out there. There's better ways of doing things. Yeah. But they just seem like they get so st- stuck. I yeah. should even say the older generation. I, I, I see that with a lot of I different. Think that's a. A fair comparison, because to me, in my brain, when you say that, like, I think of Nathan telling Zach over and over and over again, it's strip tailing or no till, like, I've tried it, it's not going to work, I've tried it, it's not going to work, and Nathan told Zach no for a long time, and then finally he did let you... I don't know that he like ever a, told me no, but I could tell that's where he was at. He was really head, trying so to talk you out of it. And in his fairness, time. he's he's done that. He's, he's done been it. there and yeah. getting there. And, yeah. And, but then eventually, he was like, "All right, let's try." Like I think eventually but, he probably settled I mean, on, "All right, let him try it," changed. and let him learn for a little bit. Like let's see. And so it was a good example of compromise. Like all right, fine. I've I know said. that's one thing I, I always tried with the, especially with the tile crew, is is we want to try something different. You know. Yeah, we've been stringing pipe this way forever, but I've been watching, seeing a few other guys try this or that, or I was thinking at night, you know, let, let's do it this way. And and uh, it's always worked the way we've done it, you know, but I always, I always really try to drive that home. Like, just because just it's always, always done it doesn't mean it's the best way. I, I think when young lads come home from agriculture college, they got a thousand one ideas as to how to improve the operation. And I was so jealous of my friends because my dad plowed down my crops, like, one of the first, even though I was making more money off that, then my uncle made a joke that your son's going to make more money off a couple of acres than you're going to make off the entire farm. So he did it out of emotion, right? And my friends, their their dads were going bending over backwards to build hog barns for them and, and buy farms. I was so jealous, but I seen my friends start coming to me when they started having problems working with their dads. And it comes down to the thing is here the old man's been worked his entire life to give the farm to you on a silver platter. And it's like, looking a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, at some point in time, these criticisms of what you've done in the past are seen as criticism instead of opportunities for improvement. And and soon, the, the dad, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, is really abrasive to any suggestions for change because it's seen as an insult to what he's done in the past. And so that's why it's really, um, the core of what I do is is focus on $3,000 improvements every meeting. Every, everybody's got to come to the table with new ideas to improve. And so we get used to learning to listen to each other. And you make improvements in efficiency, but I'm really just focused on that year of getting the family to listen to each other. And then succession planning is like a pleasant two-hour conversation instead of a 10-year family feud because you've got a family that is stubborn and they can't make simple production improvements. You're going to have a 10-year pissing contest and it's going to turn into a disaster for family feud. And that's often what I get sorted out into. Do you have a relationship with your parents now? I live in Iowa. I, I do have a relationship with my parents, but um, it's tough, you know. And sure. I, I mean, there was a couple of years we didn't have Christmas together. And, you know, other mediators, they're like, well, there's, you win some and you lose some. I'm like, no. Like, I know what it's like to wake up milking another man's water buffalo is 500 miles from home, right? You know, so I'm hell bent to make sure that that doesn't happen for other farms. One of my questions I had for you is if you can milk a water buffalo. And apparently you can. <laughs> How are you? Hold on. I'm going to write down the potential name of this podcast. Can you milk a water buffalo? Yeah, I mean, so I basically ran a country bar for three years in Guelph, Ontario. 
basically there was a moment in my life where I was going to end it because if I wasn't going to be a farmer, there was no future at all. And then I started thinking about my friends and they had started to have problems. And when your parents get divorced over a manure spreader, you know, everybody starts coming to have a beer with you when they're, they're having problems with their own families. Right. And so I made a choice to turn my life and do this full time, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I sat in the university library for three years and then I thought I knew it all. So I launched a big to do in, in a small town, just 20 miles South of Letterkenny or Listowel, Ontario and Mitchell, Ontario. And that's a quick way to go broke is to save family farms. So after six months of saving family farms for a living, went through my life savings, started to milk water buffalo. And that's why I basically milk water buffalo morning and night, save family farms during the day. Can we, do you just find a water buffalo? <laughs> How does, I mean, wait, I think we're all glancing over the most important question here. Is, does a water buffalo's milk come in a bag in Canada? And also, what's the difference between a water buffalo and a bison? A I bison have, can't swim. A bison is like a North American buffalo. Right. And a water buffalo, those are the ones that, they're an actual they buffalo. Live on they're pads. the ones from like Indonesia Africa. and Africa. They're the ones that'll that will come out yeah. of the water and molly Because a bison ass. actually yeah. isn't a buffalo, which we've learned this, right? It's a bison. I guess we yeah, did. Yeah, I think, I think we did learn that. that like a, yeah. a buffalo is a water buffalo and they live in Africa. What we have here in North America. Technically our bison. Our bison. You're correct. But yeah, no, I am basically there's a, I, well, basically I was, I was flat broke Nobody could understand what the hell are you trying to do, save family farms. Everybody thought I was crazy, and nobody wanted me to milk their cows for crying out loud because here's this guy, he's flat broke, he's down and out. And so, down and down and what? Well, down and out. Okay. <laughs> I'm Canadian, sorry about that. So, I mean, he the, said out. Well, basically, for six months, I mean, people will pay me. I specialize in farm debt turnarounds and farm succession turnarounds. And Farm debt turnarounds, that's a quick way to go broke, helping folks like that. But that's, anyway, so I was down and out and uh, went to, we should say out every time I, we'd have a beer. But anyways, it wouldn't have the, thing, the thing is that I went to go see this guy and he says, I got, I don't have any, any cows for you milk. He was milking 400 cows, but I got these water buffalo. And, and he didn't say it at the time that the two guys before me that he had working for him the six months before had broken their arms milking these damn water buffaloes. You couldn't find anybody to milk water buffalo. Why did he have them there? Apparently there's, there's 10% fat. So, so it's for mozzarella cheese and, and, and actually the family, the kids were just kids at that time, but now there's four kids in their early twenties have come home to the farm. And now I'm helping Henry with my program, take how they work together from good to great. And so it's kind of turning around hundred percent, but yeah, the, the water Buffalo, 10% cheese at that time, you know, sometimes you had to tie down, you know, in order to milk the damn things. And you know, there's one day I had to take a shotgun off a farm because yeah, a guy was suicidal and uh, it was a really dark situation. Like when I left the farm, my hands were just shaking. I was cool during that time. You jump. I think you jumped there. I'm telling you. Uh, well, the thing about the water buffaloes is that I took a gun off a farm, was worried about, did I take all the guns off the farmers or still one left? Walked into the milking parlor because I was milking cows that night for, for Henry Coskamp and the water buffalo could sense that. Uh, oh, that you were stressed. That you were, yeah. I was stressed. Wow. And those water buffalo shit and kicked and pissed. And Henry they heard me cussing. They with you. They wanted nothing to do with me. And for me, that was just the first couple of weeks I had been doing milk and water buffalo. And I'd been pretty calm up to that point. And the thing is that Henry heard that and he said, you had a rough day, didn't you? 
And he says, uh, why don't you walk around the barn? And I walked around barn.com and just, that was my yoga. So I needed to do that for cash in order to get my business started. Cause you know, I made the mistake of doing a lot, too much work for free. And then I st- stayed on for a couple of years after that, because even when I, the business is going cash flowing because of my yoga, milk and water buffaloism is my yoga. It's awesome. So that's how, that's how I was able to keep sane when, uh, when I was dealing with really tough circumstances. So I did look it up and you can order cheese off of Amazon. Yeah, so I heard of 10% cheese. cheese. So what do you, when you say that's how much of the milk goes towards cheese? We should introduce you to Henry. He's funny. Yeah. Uh, So Henry has four kids and one daughter and one son have have actually, all the kids are kind of involved in the business. They, They created their own cheese label, Camp Creek Dairies. And so they have milk, fluid milk they sell, and they also sell cheeses. Now, what kind of cheeses they have? I should tell you that, but I just can't. I'm sure they're all good. They're they're fantastic. I don't even need to know. They're but delicious. But you said it's ten percent, ten percent fat. So okay, you know, basically for the first couple of weeks that I started milking water buffalo, I you know take a, a glass of milk out to them and my milk and milk and these there were seventy water buffalo at the time, and I, I was in a little old you know double six parlor you know the three on a side, it was a double six. From the 70s, you know, those old parlors? 12. Yeah. Yeah, yep. double 12, sorry. I took the uh, glass of milk at the end of the day. Well, I couldn't figure out. I was, I was doing weightlifting. I couldn't figure <laughs> out what the heck I was doing wrong because I was on this diet. I was trying to get to be a bachelor. Here I was putting on 20 pounds. It was the water buffalo fat. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so what's the fat percentage on a, like a Holstein? When you're talking 10%, that's as it comes out? I went to school for seven years and I haven't... Freaking no idea. You guys. What, what did Derek just say? We got a grandstander back here. Derek's with us. Three and a half to four. Yeah. Three and a half to four compared oh. to 10. Are you a tit puller? No. Well, he's he, a, he's a he fact is, Google. He is he a tit puller, but he's been arrested for it a few times. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so you, so this guy still got, you said 70 head of. Going of, strong. Well, he's, he's got. That's his website. 150. It's really? Camp Creek Dairy. No, that's the wrong one. Ah, I just pulled it up. He, quick. He's yeah. obviously, you're dehorning these things. There were some dehorns, some that weren't when I showed up. Really? Like, I was I was showing up for the science fair. Like, that. I was showed up, like, the first six months, I think, that they were doing this. And the two brothers were definitely happy to see me that day that I showed up. And That really seems yeah. like a niche market thing. It was, I mean, the guy's a genius. He has a digester. He has 1,200 acres of land. He's got chickens. He's got cows. He's into anything. He's a very smart guy. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's yeah, a very cool, right cool guy. To, yeah, they're standing there in a parlor. Yeah. Derek pulled it up there. Huh. Yeah, so they're, they, they have a big rotor bit parlor now, and things are really taking. It's, it's really cool to see the four kids come back to that operation and you know they don't need they're getting along fine but for them to work with me to take how they work together so that they stop being stubborn with each other and start being stubborn at the critical habits that they need to turn from bad habits to good habits it's it's cool to be able to help them out and see yep. them succeed so yeah so you mentioned during that story that you took a, the gun out of the hands of a, of a farmer yeah i've done that more times than i've got fingers and sadly, it's because of that situation, like Becky was talking about, where mom waited five years to call somebody. And it's like a dark shame. And frankly, when people were calling me, when I started doing this 15 years ago, nobody was, was calling me to actually fix the problems. They were just wanting a divorce. I was surprised to find this out, but 
a lot of people that go to marriage counseling, they get divorced within four years. The vast majority of people get divorced within four years. I heard that on your uh, yeah. the speech I listened to on your website. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that everybody's wanting to point fingers at each other and want their partners to change, but they're not wanting to change themselves. And like, I mean, I found that really depressing my first couple of years that I started doing this and trying to sort things out. And there would be, I pulled a rabbit out of a hat quite a few times because I was able to empathize with these people because I've been there with myself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a day that I was, uh, there's like two brothers, they were best men in their weddings. And then there's the two sister-in-laws, they're best friends in high school. And they're in their thirties and they just freaking hated each other. And grandpa died on seven years before and he had run the place with an iron fist and it was just simply a situation where the two brothers had a power vacuum without grandpa there being there to run, tell them what to do. And they got into pissing contests and both wives were involved in the operation. And I'm looking out the kitchen window and uh, there's this young lad. He's about 16. He's leading a 4-H calf, right? And I swear to God, this guy would probably have green underwear if he, he took his pants off. I mean, the kid just lived. <laughs> he got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. He likes John Deere tractors. Yeah. Oh. Translated. For Sorry you. about that. I'm not a pedophile. <laughs> Anyways, the thing is, the, the thing is that the kid lived and breathed farming, right? He got up at four o'clock every morning before he got, I mean, he was, he was still in high school, got up, milked cows, came home, went straight to the barn, milked cows. That kid wanted a farm and they had a really successful farm. They were really good people. And the thing was that, that everything was going down. They had me out there. Just basically grandma was at the end of the kitchen table and she was just in tears, and they didn't want to change what they were doing themselves. They wanted to point out the blame in the other partners, and they just wanted Grandma to side with them and say it was okay for them to split up, right? And here this kid is out there, and 4-H, what's 4-H all about? I didn't do 4-H, either did Zach. Really? Well, I no. would say leadership, teaching you how to were work. Were you in 4-H? I was in 4-H, yeah. Leadership. Was the biggest for for me? It was, it was all about self improvement, right? And the thing is, here's this kid is all about self improvement, and the farm is the environment for him to become a better person. And here, at the kitchen table, it was bringing out the worst in everybody. And they were they were Dutch reform. They were the type of family that had the Bible out on the kitchen table, and the words were written in red. It said Matthew seven five. It said, "You hypocrite." Before you take the speck of dust out of your brother's eye, take the plank out of your own. And I don't care if you're an atheist or a Buddhist or a Scientologist, right? Those are good, valuable words. Well, that just changed my whole business. Yeah. Because I went from trying to get everybody to to make amends to actually asking everybody, how can you turn your bad habits into good habits? And how can you be stubborn at that instead of being stubborn with each other? And that just completely changed, like, the success rate, you know, as, as far as helping families, whether it's a farm debt situation or a farm succession case. Change the way you look at things. Just completely change how we work together with, with families. Like, I have a program where we just ask how you can take how you guys work together from good to great, right? And if you can make a couple improvements every week as far as not just get everybody brainstorming ways to, to improve farm efficiency. And through that, I'm trying to get everybody listening to each other. And then the self thing I'm trying to do is not be Dr. Phil, but make one improvement in how they work together and then make one improvement, whether it's to the whole family or to an individual over the phone, as far as a character improvement. And if you can do that, you can make three improvements every meet, meeting and you meet, say, once every other week. That's 75 improvements over the course of the year. 
and just completely changes how the family works together and improves the odds of the family still farming together 30 years down the road. Mm-hmm. You've been mentioning dairies, that you've been working with farms with dairies. I write for Progressive Dairymen. So okay. I, I get a lot of dairy farms. It seems, but I work with everything. You work with, okay. Everything. Like but dairy is kind of your community, though? So to speak, or? I mean, farming's my community. I mean, I even okay. I even have water buffaloes as clients, but <laughs> I mean, I, I got a lot of cash croppers. I got a lot of beef operations. Okay, you know, just all over the map, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, everybody's the root issue. It doesn't matter what kind of farm. If you can improve how you work together, how you make decisions together, you know, it'll skyrocket a farm's profit. But if you can improve the quality of decision making on your farm and how you guys make decisions together as a team you will skyrocket your farm's profitability and more importantly, farming with family is fun again. Did you mention, did I miss it earlier? How did you end up in Iowa? Oh, or did, I, or did you not even say you live in Iowa now? I live in Eastern Iowa and uh, I got- We knew that. I don't know if he said it on the show. Yeah. Oh, shock. Either. Sorry about that. I'm all over the map. Yeah, we no, just, we, we're going to have to start the show over. No. Are we? we can't have this be unstructured. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you started the business right out of college. No, I was 35 Okay. And so I was about 35. And How old were you when your dad plowed your crops under? I was 21. 21? Yeah. And there was about 10-year period that I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with my life. Right? Like, I slept in my car thinking that, you know, no sense of me what, getting what a What kind par- of car? Was this like a Hyundai Camaro? Accent. There you go. Oh, yep, yep. Eh. But there was periods of time that I slept in my eh. car because I just was going from one temp job to the next because I was thinking, oh, we're going to get this all sorted out in a few weeks. Right. There's no sense me getting a year lease on an apartment, you know, like it was just 10 years. It was dysfunction. Right. And you go home, patch things up for a couple of weeks and then everything fall apart. That went on for a decade. At what point did you become a reverend? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. I I kind of forgot about that. I was sitting in the back of a Catholic church. Buddy of mine was getting married and it was a little church and it was really freaking hot. And uh, I made the joke. We uh, was just at the time that Homer Simpson was online about weddings, and I said I should go online like Homer Simpson and uh, get my license to marry you. Because what was happening was it was an hour, about an hour and a half Catholic wedding. The the girl's uncle was a priest, and who was in his eighties or you know, it went on for a while. <laughs> and the bride leaned forward of my buddy, and she says, "Deal." <laughs> and so I went and married them. The next year, when they got, they were just had just gotten engaged, and he says, "I want the biggest redneck wedding ever." So I walked out of the out of the barn. It was a four hundred cow dairy, and they had about three hundred guests on the front lawn. And I walk out of the barn. I had a shotgun in my hand, and I fire off the shotgun. And I went up and I said, "Everybody have a seat now." And everybody just right on the hay bales. And then I got up the front, and I says uh, says something about love and marriage. And then I said, does anybody have any objections to this here wedding? I reloaded the shotgun. <laughs> and then I fired off. And uh, the boys came down the road. They had five Case IH tractors. And uh, they came down. They lined the tractors up. I said, according to the laws of the province of Ontario, I'm illegal to marry and bury you. Your father-in-law says it's today's the day you should get married. And I reloaded the shotgun. I said, what's it going to be? <laughs> and he says, I guess I'll get married. And I fire off the shotgun. She came out, and 13 minutes later, they were wed legally in the province of Ontario. And I thought that'd be one time fun thing to do. They had to fire off a shotgun and made a beeline to the bar and said, "Let's get this party started." 
thought that would be like one time deal. And I married 42 of my friends after that. 42? 42. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Holy crap. You went through a lot of rounds then on that shotgun. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was I, a lot of fun. I married a couple at Water Emma in the lake when we were waiting around. So I remember that, but you're not an ordained minister. So no. I, do they, they didn't know that though. I got their names wrong also. So I'm pretty sure they knew it wasn't. I mean, I don't know where they are now, but. Best of luck to him. Yeah. <laughs> so Randy's done it too. It's a lot of fun. I, yeah. yeah. It's a lot yeah. of fun. Are you or someone you know looking to add a revenue stream to your farm business? Why not become a community builder with FBN? You can partner with one of the fastest growing companies in ag while choosing the products you sell and working on your schedule. There's no better way to build your bottom line while providing farmers with access to cost-efficient inputs delivered direct to farm so that they can build their bottom line. If you're interested, visit fbn.com build to sign up to become a community builder with FBN today. So you, you passed this out earlier. Andy's got an organized note here. Oh, organized, what would you call this? This is like just a... bullet uh, points, whatever. I think we're, we're doing good. We can just bring it. We're good. We're doing a good job of winging it here. Did you want to talk about Q1? Did you mention something about that? Well, the biggest I, I, change I, I in farming think, that nobody's I think, ever... I think that's one thing we should talk about, because I don't think folks realize this. From Let's my, talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest change we've had in farming is the fact that... Well, what do you think the biggest changes are? I mean, we got the millennial farmer here, and, and Becky, she knows... What, what do you think the biggest change is in agriculture, Becky? Air conditioning. Well, technology. That's what I was going to say. But technology. What technology do you think is the biggest change? Farther. The internet? <laughs> what would you say, Randy? I mean, precision. Yeah, precision. I think that's... I, and what, what would you say? I mean, Randy, you got to come up with one. For the, What's the biggest change well, in technology? He said precision. He that's said precision. That's, I'd, say that's, I'd, say, I'd say that you guys were all right. But I'd say also... In my perspective, the biggest change we've had is the fact that fewer farmers are dropping dead at heart attacks in their 60s than back in the 1960s. I mean, modern health sciences is a game changer we've just never thought about. Oh, people living longer. I mean, you're instead of one generation farming at a time, and then when dad hits 60, he's got bad hips, and he quits because he's done farming because his hips are shot. Nowadays, dad's going in for hip surgery, and he's farming to his 80s or 90s. And the thing is, if you want, if you want to farm to your 92, I'm all about making that happen, but the, the problem we've got is suddenly instead of one decision maker in the shop, we got three. I work with a lot of different farmers sure. also on the on the lane construction pipe. side. Yeah, lane, lane pipe. pipe. Yeah, yeah, right. But you know, I have customers where the the seventy five year old dad is still calling all the shots. Like that's There's my a direct lot. contact. You know, the forty year old son is kind of on the sideline or kind of following along, you know, and then and then on the next I've got one or two guys where the 22 year old son who come out of college, you know, at the beginning he CC'd all the emails and now, I mean, he's the first one and I'm CCing dad, you know, you know, watching this stuff, but, but the 23 year old son's got full reign and dad's kind of watching over him. And, and, you know, I look at two obviously far ends of the spectrum. They're um, complete opposites of each but, other. But that, but that 24 year old kid who's being handed, you know, he's, a, he's had every shot, when they're buying a new piece of equipment, he's he's part of that deal. When they're deciding what they're going to spend on pipe for the year, he's part of that deal. I have to feel like he's got a better shot than the forty-five-year-old kid who's never had to pull the trigger on anything. There's there's a lot of farms. I've talked to farmers about six months after Dad died, 
and just the overwhelm, like even families where, where the, the young farmer worked his ass off and he was part of some decisions. Like I had a buddy, his dad did two things. His dad did the bookkeeping and paid the bills and he did the commodity marketing. And that was a buddy that I copied off of in commodity marketing class when I took it at, at college, right? He was, he was top of the class. And so nobody thought that he'd have any, because his dad had cancer for three years, right? And uh, he took off two full harvests, right, by himself pretty much. He did every job. And he had me up for a beer about six months after, and he just broke down in a shop just crying. And it was a situation where he said, I effed up. And then he uh, basically lost 500000 bucks in six, six months. And that's because it was first time trading. He took a few courses. He got hubris. He thought he knew it all. And they started making some trades that were aggressive and just like that. And the thing is, like, it's foolish to me. Any fool can give a son and daughter a tractor. But very few farmers are successful in teaching their kids how to make that tractor pay. And I think it's foolish for us to talk about succession planning without, first of all, talking about transfer of management, making sure the next generation has the motivation, has has the character, has the skill set to be able to take over the farm. And doesn't just have that third generation where they piss away five, 15 years later. So how do you get in a dynamic where the kid's coming up behind, I'll call him the kid, when the kid's coming sure. up behind and he just doesn't have what it takes. I mean, everybody's kind of good at something and you need to find that role. But what do you do where, where a dad's really good at the bookwork inside, the kid's coming up behind and he just doesn't have it. I mean, do you ever? That's what I get called out to deal with a lot. And there's, there's two different issues, right? One is motivation, right? Like I, I really firmly believe in what I call the 9,000 hour rule. You've heard, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talking about 10,000 hours. If you're not working 3,000 hours in, in farming these days, you don't have a future in farming, I don't think, right? Like the average farmer, from what I can see on a successful operation, it takes about 3,000 hours. Now, if you're working more than 3,000 hours, you, you're getting into work-life balance issues, Right. But I always say that the first three years that the kid comes home with the farm, and I do this with a lot of farms, is you got to have a performance review on a monthly basis. So you got to be this tall to get on the ride. And in that performance review, we talk about family business culture, what made this farm successful. Are you hitting the mark, right? Or are you showing up 10 o'clock in the morning to be a dairy farmer? If that's the case, after a few poor performance reviews, we got to have a discussion as a family is is this really in your passion i mean finding your bliss is so important there's some farms we all know them where the kid just doesn't have the passion he's there because it's easier than doing something else in in the world and so that's that discussion has got to happen but then the second third thing is each month or each quarter depending on how often you do the performance review you got to identify one job on the farm that is critical that if dad got hit by lightning that the farms are not going to go tits up because like something like bookkeeping, for instance, it's more than just plugging in QuickBooks. It takes about five. Awful. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's not just, but the thing is that, that the wisdom of what made the farm successful, anybody can plug in numbers into QuickBooks or a computer program. But you have to understand the numbers to know exactly when they're wrong or when you've had a bad year or whatever. You have to understand the numbers to and where it's make going. the changes and see Welcome to my every December. Yeah, but the yeah. thing is, is, your dad's still around, Zach. Right, yes. And it's there's not just December. I mean, you guys have meetings that quarterly, basically, on taxes, I would say. It's like, Yeah. But the thing is, your dad's around to teach you. Like, I really believe that you got to identify 10 jobs 
that are critical to every farm, like commodity marketing, bookkeeping. And for a lot of f- farms, like bookkeeping is mom's job, and that's her center of identity. And for her to let go of control of that, that she feels that she's being pushed off the farm. Yeah. Especially if the daughter-in-law is taking over the books. You know, she feels that she's being pushed out of the farm. So in a situation like that, how do you deal with that? Well, I think is the question's got to be, is what sense are you building up an empire if it's going to be pissed away 30 years down the road? Sure. And sometimes it might take a neutral person like yourself yeah. to come into that situation and say, listen, this is why you've done what you've done your whole life. And But a neutral party, I think, probably helps a lot in those situations. I mean, farming is emotional, right? And if mom has done, that's her center of identity, for her to give up that job, she might lose perspective of that. And it's not just, you know, so it's important for everybody. I mean, so so... It's important to look at things factually and do what's right for the family in the long term, right? And so the second thing I do in that performance review is identify what are the critical jobs. And if the son took on some responsibility and proved himself, then take on a job like bookkeeping and like something like commodity marketing. Maybe he only trades 5% of the crop for the next five years. Something like bookkeeping, maybe he just, he or she does the bookkeeping, but mom and dad doesn't sign, uh, has the only uh, check signing authority on the farm for five years until the son and daughter realize how money flows into the operation. But that's critical. And then the third thing is character. You know, like character is like, you know, everybody's got 5% about themselves. That's a weakness. And what I don't care if you have a son or daughter with like a drinking problem or you got a situation where you're passive aggressive, you don't like conflict. You know, it's these things that causes oh, families so to So you've fall. worked with Midwest before? <laughs> 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 I've met a few, few, <laughs> yeah, drinking problems and passive aggression. I, I, you know, I figure down if you're not guilty of being passive aggressive. <laughs> right, mm, that's none of us here. But I mean, it kills farms. It kills farms. And the thing is, if you can take your weaknesses from over three years, if every month you take on, like, let's just say you take on one character improvement a month, like, let's say that your your family, as a general rule, has a temper issue. Right. And that month you take on something like, okay, by habit, we as a family or maybe an individual, it all depends on the situation. It tends to turn a, a molehill into a mountain. Okay. For the next month, how do we fix that problem? And if you do that, whether it's every two weeks, every month, doesn't matter. If you're continuously improving, that's got to be addressed first before we start talking about succession planning. And that after 9,000 hours, I would suggest that a family does performance review on those three things. You know, culture, how does the son fit in our culture of how we do things around here, what made our farm successful, how do we make sure that that culture continues for the next 20 years and the next two generations. We transfer one responsibility and make one character improvement. If you do that over 9,000 hours, you will know whether or not that son or daughter is serious. But if they had good performance reviews, at the end of 9,000 hours, they can evaluate for themselves, is this for me? Is this what I want to do for the rest of life? Or if not, that's fine. But now's the time to exit so dad doesn't get, you know, build a new dairy barn. And then you decide that this is not for me. Three years of working, you know, 9,000 hours. You'll know. I mean, you might love farming at at the age of 17, but you're home for three years. You decide, "Mm, I like it, but I don't love it. And then go find your bliss. And that's the time you have that conversation. And then if everything goes flat, flies, then you have a succession planning discussion. And succession planning, all it is, is a strategic plan. And people get freaked out by it. But I'm not saying you gift the equity to the son or daughter, 
but you have a one page plan as to how, you know, over the next 30 years, so if I work on this farm, how there's an opportunity for my kids to be able to farm, you know, what am I earning in the operation? If I take this farm from a $10 million farm to a $30 million farm, how can I buy out my sisters who live in California in a way that's fair to them? But also, how am I not in a situation when I'm in my 40s, my wife is threatening to leave me, and that happens. Like 23% of farms only have succession plans. That's it. And I would say 80% of those happen after a hostile day when the wife says, you're 35, we don't own the house we live in, we don't own the truck we drive, we own nothing. And you're working here for minimum wage for 15 years, and we've doubled the value of the farm. And your sister's and your brother that has nothing to do with the operation is getting everything. There's a lot of farms in that situation. And so I believe that succession planning should happen the first couple of years that they come home. I'm not saying succession as far as transfer of assets, but have a, you know, if you want to a work timeline. a plan in place, a timeline. it's or... not option plan. I mean, there's issues with stock options and, and a good accountant can figure their way around it. Right. I'm not going to give tax advice online here, but the thing is a good account. We should. Let's get into tax. <laughs> yeah. Hell no. I don't Let's touch that with a 10 Everybody what to do. I was just kind of chuckling there because I was going to ask Zach, how many farmers do you know of that have a plan? Like a plan, like what he's talking. A well, I would never plan. ask them because I'm passive. <laughs> right. But I don't Awkward. know that I know of really any that. An actual plan And they like maybe that. do and they just don't know. There but. are things in place, but. I would say on more so there are not things in place. Like there's not a plan. Okay. So here's a question for everybody listening to this is get you and your partners to grab a piece of paper on Monday and go off in different rooms in the house and write out what the farm's going to look like in 10 years time. And then come back to the kitchen table. I would have to ask Nathan. I mean, I know some well, of the, the plan. That's I the know exercise the, is he right, comes I, up with his idea and you come up with yours. Oh, we write what our own ideas are or what? What does the farm going to look like in 10 years time? Because the thing is, if you and Nathan have different plans as to what the farm, what you're working toward, if you haven't defined what success is and what you guys are working towards, the thing is you're butting heads and pulling the farm in different directions. Well, I'm the Every daughter in law because I'm going to write down whatever Nathan wants. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the person. I trust him. <laughs> And you're blessed with a good father-in-law, but there's there's quite a few situations where the daughter-in-law and father-in-law have good intentions, right, for the future of the family, but they're just pulling in different directions. I hear a lot of accountants say, well, you, your son should buy a farm next door so he has debt and so he has fear. And, you know, we should be talking about motivation. I think the first piece of land that a young farmer buys, I think, should be the grave plot for him and his entire family and that little cemetery 10 miles down the road. And you should have a plan as to what are you doing between now and the time that you're going to hit that grave. And the thing is, the question's got to be, how do we all have the same goal? Because the reality is we're going to be buried 10 feet from each other. But the reality is on a lot of farms, most families can't stand being 10 feet from each other when they're alive. And you got to define what success is, what we're pulling towards. And if you can get everybody to have a crystal clear goal as to what we're working towards. I mean, it can change over time. It will change over time. But if everybody's working towards the same plan, a one-page plan that you put above the toilet, right? Write down what does, what's the next five years, what's the, what are we working towards? Put it above the toilet. 
I told you you shouldn't have put that, that stupid essential oil rack above the toilet. <laughs> well, we have multiple toilets. Put it in the shop. But I have a favorite. <laughs> but the thing is, put, put it. But the, that's not the family toilet. It should probably go on the family. That's toilet. That's why it's my favorite. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you have to come through two locked doors to find me. But, but the thing is, if you define what success, shitting below the oil. Shitty topic. <laughs> I just bought a bidet. I could put that out on off the house. We'll get in. I'll put that on my notes. We'll All get right. into it well, later. We'll come back to the bidet. Yeah. We'll bidet. Buy debt. But the thing is, if you get everybody to find what success is, then sacrifices are going to have to be made or you won't get distracted by things that really don't matter. And to have that conversation, that's what I do is, is I get everybody on the same page as to where we're going. And then everything flows after that. Yep. Do you have a dog at home? Uh, we're getting one. We're getting a Vizsla. Huh? I don't know. Oh, those are pretty. Cool I, yeah. I, I, do you pr- hunt? I do now. Yeah, they're I mean, like a premier hunting dog. Yeah, I'm. I'm really like Hawk is really into it. So Zach and I almost made the mistake as a very young couple buying one before of those dogs. being married and getting like it was one of those like you saw it in a pet shop. Or I don't even remember what it, it was. Was we saw it in a pet shop? It was like, Ooh, yeah. but think we held off and we, we made resisted. the mistake as adults of buying two dogs. Well, I mean, Bernadette says she wants to have a dog outside in the barn. And I, I believe that, but I think that won't happen in the middle of February. I think that visa is going to be in the house. And, you know, I they got. They don't have a lot of hair. They don't have a lot of no. hair, but the thing is, they're clean. And, anyways, I, Huck's four and Samuel Colt is two and a half. He's going to be three this next month. And they have a lot of energy, so they can look after a dog with high energy. So I'm looking forward to it. We got a great place for the kids to grow up, so it's great. Zach actually likes the dogs. He is just, I think it might be the only aspect in his life where he's a pessimist because he's had to bury one too many other family dogs that now he is just living in the dog's going to die and when do I have to bury it? <laughs> that's that's where his entire framework comes on any of the pets that we have. That is actually alarmingly accurate. Yes, I <laughs> know I need it a is. beer. <laughs> but it's just you're I'll just waiting. One, He's yeah. just like counting down yeah, the, down the yep. days until he has to yeah. bury Anna or Dish or or cats or. I had a, I had to shoot too many labs. I've had suits. I've That's seen, actually his exact. Yeah, all time. Oh, him. not all timers. Uh, what do you call when they get the shakes? Um, Epilepsy seizures. Right. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah, to yeah. shoot one after that, and yeah, not always great. So, yeah. Zach had to shoot or bury two of his brother's dogs. Like his brother, he moved off the farm and got these labs and then was unable to take care of them or some circumstances ended up where they ended up back on the farm while he was away at college. And then Zach had to handle both of them, which I think was really traumatic. And because now I don't like I, I just, you just yeah. well yeah nobody I mean I mean some people are obviously better at calling in animals than others right well New Zealand they'll go through like ten dogs before they well what did the guy say I go through three dogs and I'll I'll shoot two like they're before do- you have a good one that's before yeah like there is a guy but this, that's a that's a purpose dog oh yeah I have a he, problem yeah. getting rid of the animals that are like yeah specifically the ones the kids love. Because it hurts me because the kids are sad. But our kids love all of them, right? Well, that's the point. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not We're extremely not emotionally monsters. attached to the animals. Of course. They lo- they- <laughs> I'm attached You're- to my children's feelings. <laughs> I guess that is true. Like, you really... Oh, well, we probably can't put it out on the internet that you don't like Anna and Didge. Come on. No, you love them. Out on I the don't internet. love them. 
they're fun to have around sometimes, other than like all the holes, the six inch deep holes that Anna digs every so, single day. So we go through the same thing at home with Barbie. Randy, we, the you dog. love Barbie, okay? Correct. We've does, seen it. We he but, does not, but he enjoys her being around. If Barbie was gone tomorrow, his listen, life would change none. I have seen them cuddling around. Is this your mistress next door? Or what are you talking yeah. about? I this is my wiener frequently dog. pet the kids in the garage. It doesn't mean I love them. The boys did. Her name is her name is Barbie Q. She's a, I think they call it a dapple, so she's brown nice. and black, so she looks like barbecue sauce. So the boys named her Barbie Q. Yes. So, so yeah, it's Barbie. But I so love the Barb argument, more than my, my dogs too. The argument I have is that I would have been fine without her. Like now that we have her, yeah, it's great. Cuddle with her, whatever. She's part of the family. But at the same time, I would have been fine without that also. So this ahead is, of time, this is the and other. It thing. is an additional pain in the ass, which is why you didn't want it in the first place. Extremely. Yes. So I love our animals, but I am not emotionally attached. In so you love them sense. with zero emotion. That does not make sense at all, Becky. But that's how I am with a lot of things. because, And this is how I can see it. Because you sometimes say that I'm dead inside because I never cry. There are and two so people if, in the world I know like that. It's you and Derek sitting back there in the grandstand. That man any, is dead inside. If any of the pets I have seen died tomorrow, I would be sad. But I would also be like, everybody buck the f*** up. And you would be like... I've never seen you, Becky shed a tear over a human death. You are a cold soul. Or Derek. And you're... He looks at me like I'm... Cool. You can just shut it off at any time? But like, if the kids cry, I'm like, I try and console them in certain situations. But I don't I'm think also, she ever has it turned on. It's not there. It's weird. What kind of farm were you born on? Not a farm. I oh, grew, really? Well, we, so, hippie farm. No. Okay, a yeah. homestead. Well, I was born, yeah. No, 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 no. Like free, free love and hippie. Oh, yeah, well, I was you born know. on a hippie commune in Texas, <laughs> so there was some farming that went on. But, okay, jump ahead to like year seven. <laughs> she's she's going to skip the first 15 years there. Just <laughs> jump to year seven. My mom remarried, and we lived on a 40-acre like hobby farm. For several years, we had cattle on the property, and we took care of them, but they were not our cattle. But that was, like, the extent of it, you know? Yeah. Bernadette, she never had a dog. Like, she has a fear of dogs. And she has, like, a fear of animals. Like, she was born on a fruit, like, she was born on a fruit and vegetable farm. They had 70 acres of vegetables, 30 acres of orchard. But they never had animals because they didn't want them to be around the food that they were selling the the fruit stand. Sure. But she's, like gone from having a fear of animals to like being really attached to them. Like she can't see me like go kill a chicken or a rabbit. Like she just can't handle that. Like, you know, she's so attached because she's never been around animals, but as a farmer, yeah. that's dinner, right? For me, it's, I mean, food and just any, I'm just really comfortable. I think, I don't know with the cycle of life and I mean, death is death and yeah, it's okay to be set. I mean, I don't know. I'm just mostly just a cold-hearted bitch, I guess. But my yeah, that's, that, she summed it up. She also has, like, zero fear of your own death. No, I'm pretty comfortable with it, and I am agnostic, so I'm and different. So does it bother you that you're almost 40, which you're not because you're a few years I'm, younger I'm than us? I'm 36. That's quite a bit younger than 40, but do you ever think, like, I'm 40? Holy shit, I'm old. Like, I remember uh, when dad was 40 and that was really old. I've been here recently and I'm noticing, like, a few more creases in the face and I'm like, They make huh. creams for that. Yeah. 
No, she ran. No, her answer is no, Randy. <laughs> she wouldn't have answered like that if it was yes. <laughs> when I met Bernadette, I put down 33 on my farmers only doc. Uh, oh, I met my wife on farmersonly.com. Oh, yeah, we haven't right? even gotten into that. Yeah, I'm gonna put that on my notes I, underneath whatever. the day. It, but, we're, but the thing is that uh, I felt 33, like I didn't feel any difference, right? But then I had a boy at 42, and then boom, you know, 42 is not the time to be starting to have kids. By That's crazy. golly, yeah, so we, you know. Who knows? I have, I have an uncle. He had 13 kids. He was collecting the teachers. He was collecting the baby bonus and the pension. So his elderly <laughs> pension. So yeah, my so. uncle was 40. He might've been 45 or 46 with the first kid with the first kid. Whew. That's, yeah. that's one thing even yeah. now, like my kids are only halfway to gone or less. Yep. But I already see like, wow, I'm glad I didn't wait till, you know what? My period was like 12 days late last month and I almost shed a tear. <laughs> if I were pregnant, I would, I would be freaked. I, I don't know. Luckily, whether... that period didn't last long, and I shed a tear too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know whether I don't know whether to introduce myself as dad or grandpa when my kids go to baseball this spring. I, I just don't know. Can you imagine when they get to high school sports? What that's going to be like? Oh, you yeah. are going to be the grandpa. Oh, yeah. You're going to be there like with a cane. Oh yeah, yeah. My youngest boy is called Henry Scout. We were going to name him. I think the next boy is going to be called Walker, Texas Ranger. Well, I got Walker and I got Ranger, but he, so has, that to, he, has, to be he has to be conceived in Texas. That's all I have to do in order to get to Texas. Because uh. I got Samuel Colt. I got Henry, Walk, Henry Scout. And I got Huckleberry. So I'm happy with the name so far. But Bernadette says, do not name any more boys' names. We need a girl here. We need Daisy May. So is there a Smith and Wesson in there anywhere? I think I think Smith and Wesson. We have or that. Maybe on the like short. a Stout a is junkin? my mother's maiden name. That's a good sturdy Stout name. Stout. 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 Oh, Scout. Scout. Stout. Sorry. Canadian <laughs> accent there. Stout. What was, Stout. What was the name Canadian. of the kid in uh, Ricky Bobby? Didn't he call himself yeah. Walker, Texas Ranger? Walker, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. I, yeah. It was Walker and Texas Ranger. I think so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Walker and oh, Texas Ranger. Home. Yeah, we were going to name a boy. Um, we were going to name him Country. We were thinking about naming Henry Country. Or we were Henry Scout, Henry Country. And then we got figured out afterhand uh, what the short form of what the kids would call him on the playground. And uh, yeah, thank God we didn't name him Country. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I had I had to do it in my head. Yeah, <laughs> to, to hear my wife say that name, she didn't understand the, how big of a cuss word it was. <laughs> See, that was the only time I've seen her cuss in my life. <laughs> so, how long were you on Farmers Only? I don't know. I went on a date, took a nice girl out on a date, took her home. She was living with her grandma. She was her grandma was elderly. This is back home, and I dropped her off, and I was on the front porch. And her grandma kind of disturbed us. I met grandma just before we went on the date. And she found out I was Kenny Walker's son, a grandson. And grandma, so here I was going to make out with this girl, thinking, you know, this is this is a keeper. She's looking off grandma, right? I'm hitting my 40s. It's time to get married, settle down. You cut the white swath in your youth. Anyways, grandma comes out on the front porch, and she's got the book. And where I'm from, and Bob Cajun, and the Junkin family, Nobody's married outside of a seven-mile radius for seven generations since 1832. And Grandma... That's a unique statistic. Outside of That's a like seven, a football stat. Seven, yeah. For me, yeah. seven-mile radius. Yeah. So Grandma comes out in the front porch, and she's got the Junkin family pedigree. 
And it's a book about that thick that they traced back. They had a whole family. Oh, no. The, what? the Mormons oh, look up no. to my family. It wasn't the plot book. She had plotted out three different ways we were related. Oh, oh no. <laughs> and she thought it was a good thing. And the problem was that was the second time that that kind of situation happened in my life. And so I went on FarmersLoan.com and said, next time you're speaking in America, Go start dating girls in America. So that's what <laughs> brought me to America. You went outside the seven miles. I went outside the province of Ontario just to be safe. <laughs> outside the country of outside Canada. Outside the country, absolutely. <laughs> so were you still living in Canada when you met? Yeah, Bernadette. Bernadette. Yeah. I mean, it was only a six-hour drive. I mean, it was... It was. Where's she from? She's from Michigan. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, we went on a date, and um, she was actually going to be a nun. And so... She went to the convent, and then she didn't feel a calling at the convent. She had always wanted to be a nun, and then she didn't know. So she worked on a fruit and vegetable farm with her dad, and then her dad passed away. And so I was pretty much her first date, and that was my last first date. I was like, four days later, we were engaged, and five years later, it's five years this Friday. Never been happier. So, yeah, it's been worked out good. Awesome. So she's harvesting vegetables, and you're milking water buffalo. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a solid meal. And somewhere <laughs> there's a goat involved. Oh, yeah. Is, we haven't told anybody yet that Randy has a list over there. I have a secret list. That what Andy of, walked in with. What kind with. of paper is this? I was I was also impressed with your paper. Oh, it just it sounds scratch, sturdy. Scratch. Very scratch. sturdy. I can hear the weight of that paper. Yeah. It's some serious play. Huh. Buddy of mine got married. You know, we, we played practical jokes on each other about the wedding, right? That how it goes, right? I can't wait to the end. Did he bang a goat? <laughs> That's my other buddy. That I. will <laughs> tell that story at the oh. end. <laughs> yeah. Was it from True within story. seven miles? Well, the thing is, is that so. Anyways, we got got him married. We we were joking for months about getting him a goat for his, you know. And anyways. Somebody actually, I'm not going to say who, so I don't incriminate them. But the thing is, they actually, they actually tied it, put a goat in the back of this guy's truck. How long ago was this? Uh, oh, this is like 15 years. Oh, statute of limitations oh, way past. Way, way oh, back. Yeah, we're good. But yeah, well, probably, I don't know. Probably not. I'm not going to say his name because you know, you'll, you'll find out in a second here. Anyways, he tied it to the bumper. And uh, anyways, they came in the hall and they were just laughing and, and they were laughing about this, right? And they're like, well, the couple left. And so we were going to go out in the hall and they went through the kitchen and they laughed. So anyways, we drive going after them thinking we're going to chase, you know, see the goat in the back of the truck and see the scene, right? Well, we drive past them. And I guess the goat had jumped out and underneath the truck. Oh, no. And they heard the rattling sound. Oh, no. And so we seen them on the side of the road, and the bride's wedding dress just all bloody. Oh, oh no. And we just kept on driving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it wasn't me is all I got to say. It wasn't me. I was just an innocent bystander. One of those, one of those I'm all, gonna... all fun and games to <laughs> go to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to assume that somebody yeah. gave the goat mouth to mouth and got on a stretcher, maybe a helicopter ride. Oh, absolutely. It's it's fine, Danny. It's fine. It's fine, Danny. Yeah. 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 It's definitely kosher. Cross that one off the list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We haven't gotten into the bidet yet. And Becky's back now. And it's like the last thing on my list. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us about it? So Zach went racing to Bristol. 
And while he was gone, I just decided that we've reached the point in life where we should have a bidet or we should try one. I don't know what's So I come it. home and there's a robot on the toilet. On the couch. <laughs> I may have been drunk on the couch watching Netflix and I just sort of decided So you got one that you added I, to your toilet? I ordered a bidet on Amazon. It was here less than 48 hours later. And then she'd been holding it in for 48 hours waiting <laughs> for that thing. And then I ordered it and it came before Zach got home. And I was like, I, I'm, I should install it and then be like, surprise, we got a bidet. <laughs> and so I did. I just pulled out all my plumbing skills and I installed a bidet on the bedroom master bath toilet. And then he went to use it and he was like, it took me a couple of days. I tried it once and all it did was. Spray me in the back of the nuts. <laughs> which, which leads me so to I tried to adjust, and all it did was hit a different spot in the back of my nuts. I, I'm, like, I'm like, are you arching your back enough? Like, you're doing it all wrong. Like, try leaning You are forward. terrible at this. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. Scoot over. Because there are men that you can talk to some men, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's great. So, like, I really think you're, like, wrong angle or something. I are you it? sitting? Do you sit on the toilet forwards or ba- facing backwards? Well, do you sit... <laughs> You sit backwards if you want to dry log the porcelain. Yeah, that would yeah. be a dry log. I had a buddy in, well, in grade school, he dry logged the porcelain every day. Every <laughs> single day hilarious. Yeah, every day he comes out just laughing. I didn't know that bidets existed until I was at Thomas Lang's house, and he was like this Swiss guy that came over with lots of money, initially invested in hog farming. Are you his, supposed to say your client's names? Is no, this is not a client. This is a friend of mine. Oh, okay. Thomas T.C. Lang, his father, was just an absolute legend. Okay. So he's going to be okay if his bidet oh, story is yeah, on this. Yeah, T.C. Lang, unfortunately, has passed like- on in life, but what a legend. Anyways, the thing is, I sat down, I went over there for a beer or two, and uh, went to use their toilet and hit the wrong button, and that thing shot me in the square in the buttocks in the right spot. I didn't <laughs> even know what the hell that done. <laughs> Here I was, had my head in the in the bathtub, like, what the hell was going on? Well, apparently it was adjusted correctly. Oh, it, it hit the mark, I tell you. Something about her geometry wow. and mine don't line up. Maybe we need to watch some YouTube tutorials on how some a man tutor- should use a bidet without it hitting their balls. It's got to be a thing. I wouldn't get the Zoom support well, for that, though. <laughs> If you want to learn how to use your bidet, you go to stubborn.farm. It happens. It has an asshole setting and it also has a vaginal setting. So maybe you you hit the vaginal setting. Maybe I had it on the vag setting. That'd be a hilarious joke. It just hits you in the nuts. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. So Onyx got a kick out of the bidet also, as any, I'm sure, 10-year-old American boy would. He's like, he came out, he's like, what, what, it, what is it? What, what is it? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because he, it was like a week later. What happened? <laughs> Why are there like, dials what? on your toilet? What is on the toilet? And I'm like, wow, I had no idea. And I go back there and I look and I'm like, oh, it's a bidet. And he was like, just totally, like, he was concerned. He was like, what? So do you dry off afterwards or do so you, you just, just shake a little or like is a there a blow dryer? A two of toilet paper and you just dab, you know, you just don't. Dab. You so, just, you, so we've gone from a wiping to more of a dabbing. Yeah. I, I haven't used it since it hit me in the back of the nuts. <laughs> you didn't do Zoom support. No, I'm I just, I gave up. I'm disappointed. Because then I had wet nuts for a half an hour. Who wants that? Did you? Did, did, There's people did pay you, for that, you know? You, when I pay for that, it's. <laughs> You what? different you, podcast. You hit the wrong button. You hit the Fomunda Cheese button. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know that was an option. <laughs>
that might be the cutout of the end of the show. Exactly right there. Chop. You hit the Fumunda cheese button. And there's, <laughs> there's the off the husk sound. <laughs> <laughs>